little nerds and nerdettes. Junior ambassadors, boys and girls of all ages. We're nerds and uh, we're pretty proud of it. You're entering the Nerd United Nations podcast. Never apologize for being nerdy. All things geek are up for grabs. Because unnerdy people never apologize for being assholes. Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson and Jared Boots. Hello, nerds and nerdettes, junior ambassadors of all ages, and welcome back to the Nerd Out of Nations podcast. We've made it to the month of May, and you know what that means. It's a month that is near and dear to our hearts. It is Mental Health Awareness Month. And what better way to kick off Mental Health Awareness Month, but not only doing talking about one of our favorite feel-good movies of all time, but also it's an impromptu Mother's Day episode because, let's face it, you saw the title in the beginning. I think this film is very fitting for a Mother's Day episode. So I'm not going to bury the lead anymore. You've seen a horse fly. You've seen a dragon fly. You've even seen a house fly. Well, now it's time to see an elephant fly. So nerds and nerdettes of all ages, let's get ready for Dumbo! waiting for pounding on the ceiling for my neighbors (laughs) but of course yes we're talking about the 2019 live action remake tim burton's demo from disney studios i of course cannot talk about this film alone i need a queen melissa nicholson melissa how are you doing tonight i'm doing very well I think I broke you there for a second because you were kind of quiet. Or were you shocked that I called you a queen instead of a goddess for a change? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Quite the intro. <laughs> Thank you for that. <laughs> You're welcome. I just added to your ever-changing Facebook uh, biography. It changes like the Midwest weather. <laughs> yep. Melissa, we have like a double. We have a double down episode this week. We're kicking off our mental health awareness month with a Mother's Day episode. Uh, how do you feel about Dumbo being uh, very? I think I don't know about you, but I think Dumbo is like very appropriate for being a Mother's Day movie. I definitely, I wholeheartedly agree. Um, I think it's absolutely perfect for for Mother's Day, and because it's definitely about the. You know, Dumbo and his his connection with his mother and, you know, how his mother, you know, immediately loved him for who he was and, you know, never decided that, oh, he wasn't good enough or anything. He was perfect in her eyes. And 
I think that's, you know, um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I think it, it's that. Well, yeah. Well, well, we'll talk about this a little bit later. I think something we learned from the film is nobody loves you like your mother. Mm-hmm. So, so we only not want to dedicate this episode to all the mothers out there that listen to us. But um, two very special women that gave birth to nerdy podcasting legend that would be Carol Saramacki and Deanna Whitmore, uh, Melissa and I's mothers, respectively. So, moms, this is uh, we love you and thank you for everything. So we could be here today to talk about nerdy shit on the internet to about maybe twelve people. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we just have a discussion for Dumbo because Melissa and I do not have the attention span to go point by point, uh, plot point by plot. Film. That's what we'll be doing tonight, uh, staying the course. Uh, it seems like if uh, being broke, don't fix it. So last May, Melissa and I uh, did a live video on Facebook talking about our favorite feel-good films, and one of them that overlapped was Tim Burton's 2019 live-action Dumbo. Um, instead of going through our list again, you can just go to our Facebook page and see the video, or you go to our Instagram page and you can see the lists of our favorite feel-good films. So to coincide with that for uh, Mental Health Awareness Month and this feel-good episode, uh, we reached out to our podcasting family, both past guests and future guests, to uh, let us know what some of their favorite feel-good films were. So, uh, Melissa, why don't you kick things off and let them know who our first podcaster was? Of course. All right. So our first uh, submission to our Feel Good Film episode is from Mr. Michael Lyons. And he is from Disorder, every Disney film. He also has uh, two websites, Screensaver Blogs and Animation Scoop. Hey, Melissa and Jared, it is Michael Lyons. Thank you so much for inviting me to share some of my favorite feel-good films. I have quite a long list, but I've narrowed it down to three. I would start, of course, first and foremost, with a Disney film, and that is from 2007, Meet the Robinsons. I love that movie's philosophy of keep moving forward and a very positive perspective on our own future. Then I would have to choose the Muppet movie from 1979, What Makes You Feel Better Than the Muppets? The Rainbow Connection is probably one of the happiest songs ever written. And the scene with Steve Martin as the waiter is probably one of the funniest moments ever committed to film. That movie always makes me feel good. But my top spot for my favorite feel-good film is probably from 1952, and that's Singing in the Rain, one of the greatest movie musicals ever made. Gene Kelly, Donald O'Connor, Debbie Reynolds, all so great. The songs in the film, Good Morning, Make Them Laugh, and of course the title song, Singing in the Rain. I have seen that movie countless times. I would watch it right now. I will watch it countless times, and it always makes me feel good. So thank you for devoting this episode to Feel Good Films, and thank you for letting me share some of mine. All right. Thank you, Michael. So Michael's three films were Meet the Robinsons, The Muppet Movie, and Singing in the Rain. Melissa, what do you think? I really great choices. Um, I personally haven't seen um, Meet the Robinsons or Singing in the Rain, which 
I, I'm sure people are going to be like, oh, what? You haven't seen it? <laughs> <laughs> it's on my to-do list. <laughs> or maybe to-watch list. Um, but the Muppet movie, absolutely. That is such a feel-good film. It, it is so funny. It's so wholesome. It's just a really, really good film. So that's definitely an, an awesome choice. Uh, Meet the Robinsons I have seen, but I haven't seen it in so long, but I can just, sitting here thinking about, I have a big head and little arms, just cracks me up every time with that T-Rex. I don't even have to see it. I can just picture it in my mind of the T-Rex going after, uh, after <laughs> doing the big head and little arms thing. It cracks me up, and I, I do agree. Uh, the Muppet movie, I I do love the Muppet. I I did say the Great Muppet Caper on my list last year because that one's very nostalgic to me. But I do love the Great Muppet. I do love the Muppet movie too. Mm-hmm. I can't help but think of Doctor Teeth and Electric Mayhem every time. Golden yeah. teeth and golden tones. Welcome to my presence. <laughs> 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 and uh, good thing you're off of Twitter because I'll be taking all the heat. Cause I also haven't seen Singing in the Rain. Well. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not the only one. <laughs> Thank you, Michael, for writing in. Um, and also, Michael did send me uh, his... He wrote an article for Screensaver Blog about feel-good films. So I will be sharing that to our social media once I post this episode. So keep an eye out for that. And we're always sharing Michael's articles. They are great reads. Mm-hmm. They really are. They're they're always interesting and full of really cool facts about films and always learn something from all of them, which is really cool. So diving into our roundtable discussion about Dumbo, uh, Melissa, what makes this a feel-good film to you? It's, it's a feel-good film to me because it's such a... It's a very emotional film. Like, it's it's got you know, your wholesomeness, it's got heartbreak, it's got some humor, it's just got a really nice layer of of stuff, and it really makes you feel all the feels. <laughs> but it's so good, and um, I really loved um, this new version of it, because it... The, the story is so much more than, than what the original is. And I, I really like that. It brings so much, um, there's so much more to it and so much more depth and characters and, you know, characters to connect with and get to know. And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, a I don't know. It's, a it, it's kind of a cozy film. I don't know if you can describe it like that. Like, it's just, it's, it's one that you can, you know, cuddle up with a blanket on the couch and just turn on and, and watch and really enjoy. And yeah, I, I really, I really enjoy the film. It's, it's really good. It's heartwarming. And, and that's what, that's what makes it a feel good film for me when it, when it has all the things, all, all the, all the feels and positive things. And yeah, that, that's what um, makes it a feel good film for me. Um, now, what about you, Jared? Why why is it a feel-good film for you? Well, it's a feel-good film for me because, like you said, it's very heartwarming. And 
I kind of want to bust your stones a little bit by saying that it's tragic. It makes it a feel good film for you, but it, uh, <laughs> I guess sometimes you need that yeah. to help you feel good. Cause maybe, maybe I could see, cause maybe it feels like maybe you're not the only one that's going through troubles in the world, but um, it's a feel good film for me because it is very warm. It's very loving. Mm-hmm. And, it, and I've met this numerous times before. And if I ever had a man card to begin with, I'm sure it'd be taken away because it, I get those happy tears. I get happy tears from this film every single time I watch it. And every time I press play, I'm like, I'm not going to do it, but I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. God damn it. I'm doing it. <laughs> <laughs> And it's even just like, it's even like thinking about certain moments of the film where I know it's going to get me every time. And it's just, it's those feel good moments. Like when you see Dumbo fly for the first time, it gets you every time. And this film gets uh, biased points on two different categories because A, uh, Dumbo is one of my favorite it's in my top five for films from Disney animation studios. And it's also a Tim Burton film who is my favorite director of all time. So those two biases alone, like true to that, I believe it was the top of my list last year when we did our live video and mm. it gives you those warm feelings inside. And it's the more, the story that Tim tells his tribute to the original source material, the additions he gives to it. And just the heart and soul he put into this. And like a lot of the stuff we're going to talk about later, so I don't want to bury the lead too much, but uh, it's just such a good feeling film beginning to end, even with the, even with the bad spots of like um, with Michael Keaton being the main villain and his sidekick, his henchman. And even uh, I can't remember his last name. Now. I call him uh, the elephant handler. In the Manichi Brothers Circus, uh, Rufus McObvious Bad Guy. I made up his last name, McObvious Bad Guy, because he just looks like, hey, I'm a movie villain. <laughs> but uh, even when you see that stuff right there, like I mentioned, I wanted to make kind of tease you for saying it's got that, that heartbreaking stuff that makes it still make it a feel good film. But like, yeah, it makes you feel, it makes you realize those days when you're feeling really low, like, hey, I'm not alone in the world. And mm-hmm. hey, other people go through this too, even if it is uh, CG elephants yeah. that can fly. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's just, it, it's kind of a, I don't know, maybe maybe not so so much, but it is a little bit of a redemption thing too. Like it's, you know, going through a lot of the stuff and all the kind of hard times that, especially like the, you know, the circus went through at first. And then thinking they got a little bit more success and then kind of falling flat again, but then coming out successful again. And, you know, even by going, you know, a different route with what they do. Um, so it's, it's kind of like that too, where it just, it, you know, you, you really feel sad and, and, you know, for a lot of it really. Um, but you still feel good and you feel really good for them at the end because they ultimately you know, they win in the end. So it's it's one of those, like, when that happens, you really feel good. That, you know, however, whatever troubles you may go through, there still will be good at the end. Yeah. 
So it, it, film can be kind of a downer and still be a feel good. And I think Disney has built the foundation that Disneyland and Disney World both stand on on feel good films. Like I think I think of one company that makes feel good films. I think Disney like mm-hmm. they get that they get that on lockdown. Absolutely. They they definitely know how to how to tell a story and how to make it heartwarming and fun and just all all the things you you'd, you'd want from from a film, especially a feel good film. Yeah. I think we answered that one pretty well. So uh Perfect segue. We're going to announce our next uh, audio clip here. And it's from, you haven't heard her name yet on our show, but this is uh, Victoria, a friend of mine named Victoria. And she's going to be appearing on a future episode here later this month. And um, let's see what she has to say. Hello, this is Victoria Syriac, and I am a big fan of the Nerd United Nations podcast. And I was very excited to be asked by Jared and Melissa to weigh in on my favorite feel-good movie. So I decided to pick The NeverEnding Story from 1984. And I think I was about eight years old when I first saw this. And <clears throat> the reason it's a feel-good movie for me is the music. When I hear it, it just gives me the sense of wonder and magic and adventure. And even when I hear it now, it just brings me back to being a little kid in the living room watching it with the giant old TV. Um, So my favorite character of this movie is Falcor, the luck dragon. He's basically the combination of a golden retriever and a dragon. And he's just so fluffy and cute. I just think that anyone would love the opportunity to ride their own luck dragon. So my favorite scene from this movie is when we first see the ivory tower. It is this beautiful bright light in all of the darkness and outside of it there's all these like magical beings and creatures that are gathered around and they're just they're so cool and creative and they have these beings that were just like a giant head. And I, I think back in 1984, like how, how creative that was for that time. And then I had the opportunity to rewatch this this weekend with my daughter. She is 11 going on 22. She, um, she had a very different take on it than I did when I watched it. And it was, uh, kind of funny. She had a few comments as she was watching it that that just really cracked me up. So there's a point where Falcor, the luck dragon, first comes in and he swoops down and he saves Atreyu and she yells out, he's kidnapping him. How is this good? Um, and then the other part that she cracked me up is when she first saw the Sphinxes And she had to comment that, oh, my God, I see their nipples. How is this a kid's show? So a lot of fun seeing it through the eyes of a 11-year-old modern-day kid. But um, this assignment was a lot of fun. Thank you very much for the invite. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you, Victoria. So the never-ending story. Melissa, I'm going to jump on the grenade before you. 
I have made this <laughs> I've made this uh, statement numerous times. I am the one eighties kid. It's not too nostalgic for the never ending story. Like I I watched it a lot growing up as a kid. But uh when I watched it again as a, in like my late twenties as an adult, and I'm like I love the effects. I could see why Victoria loves it, and I see a lot of why people in my generation love this film. For some reason, I guess I just I Peter Pan. I didn't. I didn't. I had a reverse Peter Pan. I grew up somewhere, and I, I still love the effects though. And it, like they did some really good effects in that film on that budget. And I will be covering on my YouTube uh, show with Mikey someday in the future. But uh, Melissa, your thoughts on the Neverending Story? Yeah, um, it's it's definitely not one that I personally enjoy. I mean, it's it for what it is. It's all right. It, it tells a story, um, you know, it, it it's good, but it's also not one that really, um, I don't know, that, that I really enjoyed all that, all that much. Maybe, I mean, maybe if I was younger and watching it, like a little kid seeing it, maybe there might be a different reaction, like make, you know, more of a sense of wonder, magic, things like that. Um, but yeah, definitely not now seeing it um i can i can respect those people who do love it maybe they saw it at a time where it just it was that perfect moment that perfect opportunity to see it and it just hit them and it has become a nostalgic thing um so i can i can certainly respect that and yeah the the effects and stuff are are good in it so i can i can respect the film for what it is but yeah it's um definitely not one that's that's my uh my cup of tea <laughs> and I, I do appreciate uh victoria's daughter having the in, having a having a modern view or a, a modern generation looking at a film from back then i do i find that really adorable and uh maybe when uh, we cover that on youtube i'll have victoria and her daughter come on mm. and talk about it i do like i do like getting those other insights from like a younger generation to films we grew up on that's what i do with melissa a lot because <laughs> melissa and i have what a eight nine year gap so yeah. see sometimes sometimes it's entertaining to see melissa's reaction to things i grew up on and other times it's fucking infuriating yeah. <laughs> 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 but uh Victoria, thank you so much for uh, sending in that clip. Um, I hope it didn't discourage you. Uh, um, but I, you'll you'll hear Victoria later this month with uh, Philip Barker and another friend of mine named Sean Thompson, where we do some more feel good stuff. And uh, I'm trying to get Victoria and her daughter to start a Mommy and Me Harry Potter podcast. So everybody, help me lead the charge in doing it. Hashtag Potter podcast, yes. <laughs> oh, that's that would be awesome. I'm definitely on that train. <laughs> and I do like the scene of a uh, is it Treyu and the horse getting stuck in the pit of sorrow. I do love that meme. Now I think it floats around on Facebook of like as a like. I think I can't remember the meme. Is it how I don't realize as a kid how much this meme messed me up as a child or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> a, hor- 
a horse just got depressed and decided it didn't want to live anymore. <laughs> uh, was it the bog of the bog of infinite sorrow? Is that what it's called? Maybe it's been it's been at least ten years since I've seen Neverending Story. Yeah, but Neverending Story is still a good choice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, a lot, of, a lot of people in my generation do love that film. Mm-hmm. Okay, next bullet point. Um, with the traditional traveling circus being a dying art. Does the film work as a period piece, or could the story have been modernized, Melissa? I think it works better as a period piece simply because of just the like the circus. Um, I don't know what's the word. Uh, not some, maybe theme. I don't know if that's really the right word, but just because like the circus and using animals and things like that, like just the whole sort of. Um, sort of older circus thing, um, I think it works better that way. Um, I don't know if you could modernize the story, maybe. there's There's got to be a way, but I don't have the creative brain to do that. But um, I think, it, I, I really think it, it, it fits better in, in the specific time period. Um, just because it was you know, I would assume sort of around when, like, you know, like 2019, it sort of seems like it would be sometime, like, after the war, something like that, because obviously um, the father comes home from from war, so it's somewhere around there, and that's a lot when circuses were around, and it was a really big thing. So I think it, it really fits um, in there very well. Um, it would it would be kind of odd to to modernize it, but nothing's impossible unless you you know you found a way to do it. Um, but yeah, for me, it's it's good as a period piece, definitely. Yeah, I, I, it definitely sets the, it definitely fits in a Tim Burton's wheelhouse to do a period piece like this because he he's mostly known for doing almost he does do. I almost want to say timeless because you look at it, Batman 89 or Edward Scissorhands, you can't quite tell what time they take place in. But, mm-hmm. when, but then when you watch Sweeney Todd, when you watch um, Frank and Weenie, you have a very good idea of what time frame those films take place in. Yeah. And I think doing this in 1919 like post world post world war 1 is a very good fitting for that because with that you do have a time like you said where traveling circuses were huge back then mm. um i think he brought maybe a little modernizing into it with um when you get to dreamland finally towards the second half of the film you get some of those uh when you get to the, for example, with the pink elephants on parade sequence, with it being the bubbles, and right just before that, with all the random dancers bending around, I think you get a little bit of that of that Cirque du Soleil type feel, which is kind of taken over now. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Like especially, um, uh, Claudette is the character. Claudette, yeah. Yeah, like she, you know, like on the the sort of. Not really a ring, but like... No, uh, Colette. Colette, that's it. Um, 
I knew it was something like that. Uh, <laughs> um, like with her, like on the on the ring thing, um, sort of going around, and that's very, you know, Cirque du Soleil, and um, so it, it's kind of a little bit like that. And then you also get the a little bit of like a I don't know fifties sixties vibe from like the different displays that we see in the film. Like just the technology and what it look and the look of them, it's very sort of fifties, sixties vintage. So you kind of get a little bit more modern um, in there too. So it's it's a mix of of everything, which is kind of interesting. Well, it's a, well, that's that part is an obvious. Most of Dreamland is an obvious nod to Disney World, Disneyland. Yeah. With the. Uh... The Hall of the Hall of Science that um, essentially uh, what is that? I'm, I know Michael is like shouting the name. Handy and Michael are now shouting the name of the ride at their podcast listening devices right now. Um, Carousel of Progress, got it. Carousel of Progress, like uh, that's obviously a, like a tribute to that. Um, mm-hmm. Or even like the roller coaster and all that stuff. And I, I remember reading online that Dreamland was a tribute to three things. It was Coney Island, um, Disneyland, and uh, oh golly, I can't remember the other one. Uh, forgive me. Uh, but um, so I, I had use of that modernization there too. So it's supposed to be Dreamland is looking in the future. And I, yeah, it was Colette. Um, it's still able to throw in. She's like a, a best of both worlds because you do see her. It's almost she does do some of the modern trap, the regular trapeze stuff when she's first training with Dumbo when they get to Dreamland, and then I think her doing the chandelier bit is almost like a almost like a modern version too. So yeah, I think she's like a, a merging of the both worlds, and so it's almost like. Tim Burton is saying that uh, Michael Keaton's character uh, Vanderveer is saying this is what the circus of the future is going to be. This is what the future is. So he he's essentially playing an evil Disney, mm-hmm. is what it is, or Disney with a uh, Walt Disney with a hidden agenda, mm-hmm. and um, trying to show what the future is going to be because Walt very much embraced the future and um, absolutely. And um, I also think with I think it also works buried as a better. Uh, uh, sorry, it works better. This film works better as a period piece. The fact that now in these modern days, a lot of these circuses, if they still do travels, a lot of them aren't using animals, live animals in their acts anymore. Mm-hmm. It was a Barnum and Bailey or Ringling Brothers within the last handful of years of this recording stopped using elephants in their show. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's definitely where you would kind of get stuck modernize like you wouldn't be kind of stuck being able to modernize the film because of of that because yeah it's very much you know like Cirque du Soleil is very people actors performers it's it's very you know there's no animals or anything used and you know and that's sort of the way that things are going where it's more people and it's more about sort of performance from them than it is about you know, using animals and stuff, and it's and it's very much like it comes down to you know the treatment of them and and things like that. So that's where it really stay. It has to stay sort of in its own time period. I mean, you can you can be like 
you know, like Tim Burton to make it sort of timeless, where you can have it set in a sort of time period, but then also have a little bit, a little bit of everything, um, where it, it works really well. Um, but other than that, yeah, to really modernize it, it wouldn't be, it, it would be a challenge to, to do. And yeah, I think I think it it's it definitely does best in its own sort of time period. And uh, I agree. It and when I think of circuses, I think of animals. I think of clowns. I think of trapeze. I think of a freak show or a sideshow. I don't think of what you think of Cir- Cirque du Soleil. My mm-hmm. memories of seeing circuses as a child were our traditional circus. Yeah. Seeing people ride elephants and tame lions and all other stuff. Mm-hmm. The random thought I had the other day. So they make reference to the huge Spanish flu pandemic in 1918. Do you really think had Tim Burton knew there was going to be a, there was going to be a pandemic in 2020, he would have mentioned the flu pandemic in this film in 2019? <laughs> um, Hindsight is 2020. So. <laughs> I mean, maybe still, um, simply because of just the time period and how the the story is not not fully structured around it, but it's a it's the backstory a little bit of of the circus itself, the little circus that it is that they have their hardship due to this influenza, and you know they they are still reeling from that, and so. I think, I think he still would, just simply because it's a piece of history. Not so much that, you know, even if he knew that there was going to be um, a pandemic happening within the next year, um, it's just it's a part of the that story, that history of the circus, something that a tough time they went through, and that's kind of. Um, that's kind of what I think. I think he still would have, just because of that. And uh, as a disclaimer, there is nothing funny about either pandemic. No. We don't mean to make light of either one. And it, like you said, it does play. It's Danny DeVito, Danny DeVito uh, catching Colin Farrell's up on what has happened since he's away at the war, and it even mentions that he lost. Uh, they, his wife was one of the members of the circus that passed away due to the flu. Hmm. So yeah, it's it's definitely it's part of the story, and so I think it still has a place within that. Our next uh, clip comes from another guest you've heard on here before, and you've heard us podcast many times about Zack Snyder's Justice League with, and that would be our good friend Philip Barker from Superhero Stress. Hello, listeners of the Nerd Knighted Nation podcast. Philip Barker here from the Superhero Stress podcast. Speaking on behalf of Melissa and Jared and talking about some of our favorite comfort movies. Now, uh, I know given everything that's gone on over the last couple, you know, at least the last year or so, everything going on in the pandemic, these times can be hard. So, honestly, I've been watching a lot of my comfort movies lately, and that's been consisting of uh, Jurassic World. Not Jurassic World, sorry. Lost World, Jurassic Park, the second one. I have a lot of 
personal ties to that. I used to watch that one on, on repeat as a kid. Um, <clears throat> also, most recently, I would say um, Terminator. Terminator is another good, I, oddly enough, weirdly feel-good movie because it's just, for me anyway, I mean, it's just one movie that technically appeasing. It's all, I've just always found it pretty fascinating. So just the idea of conquering some unknown entity on your own survival human instinct, there's something fascinating there, I think. Also, um, I would say... Man of Steel, directed by Zack Snyder, of course. Um, it's probably one of the most accurate and faithful adaptations of a character, Superman, and that that's just that journey that Clark, they, they have Clark Kent Callow go through in the course of that movie is just always uh, touches home for me personally. So, yeah, hope you all enjoy and have your own comfort movies i can't wait to hear everyone else's and thank you again melissa and jared for giving me this opportunity to share my comfort movies with you guys take it easy all right thank you philip so melissa philip's favorite feel-good films jurassic park the lost world and terminator man of steel what do you think solid list (laughs) uh definitely um yeah i've I really like his his uh, sort of the variety of of his list. Um, I think they're good. Uh, I I don't care what anybody says. Lost World Jurassic Park as a solid sequel to the first one. I I'm gonna have to admit that I haven't seen the sequel. <laughs> I've seen the first one so many times. But I haven't seen the sequel. <laughs> okay, okay. Listen, I can I can forgive you if you want to skip Jurassic Park three, although Jurassic Park three does have Laura Dern in it. Guy, I know you're listening. <laughs> but uh, it, the Lost World ha- uh, brings back Jeff Goldblum, and it's a very solid sequel. And they go to it's the first time we're mentioned of uh, uh, Isla Sorna. Hmm. Uh, B-Site um, Terminator 2 also a great pick Terminator and Man of Steel both good picks Like Maybe not a lot of things that make you feel oh, I'd say Man of Steel definitely has more of those uh, What would call traditional feel good moments in it But I cannot fault anybody for Man of Steel or Terminator Those are both solid choices I do love me a good Terminator film I Terminator and Terminator 2 Both good films to watch when you're Feeling down or even on a good rainy day watch. <laughs> I'm going to admit I haven't seen Terminator. I, sh- I probably should at this point. <laughs> but I've seen Man of Steel, so there's one. <laughs> tisk, tisk, tisk. All right, Phil, thank you for uh, sending in. So Jurassic Park, Lost World, uh, Terminator, Man of Steel. Uh, going back to the roundtable. Uh, do Tim Burton's additions and changes to the story feel like a fitting tribute and a continuation to the original 1941 animated film? Absolutely. 
Um, I think it it really adds um, a lot more depth to the film. Um, it definitely it, it just adds it adds so much more to it. It really makes it a much more solid story. I mean, the you know the original it's very simple, straight to the point, but it it's got it's it's still heartwarming. It's still good. It's very Disney. Um, but this version definitely um, has a lot more to it, and I and I think that the story needed that um, to to make it a a much more solid structured story. And um, I, I really like the the take the the route that was gone with it, and the you know the additions and and changes that were made. Um, I, I really like. I think it worked very well and um it, it brings the story to life a whole lot more yeah and uh this is almost dumbo is almost one of the original disney animated films where you had to add stuff to it because the original animation film is only 63 minutes long mm-hmm. so really- it's just it was just dumped out back in the 40s just to make a quick buck off. It was made cheap and quick. Mm-hmm. And um, like you said, but it's quick and to the point. It moves along quick. It doesn't feel like an hour long, actually. When you watch it, it feels quite short compared to them. But, yeah, you need to add to it to get it to, was it a 70 minutes considered a feature length, I believe? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so this one, this one's an hour and fifty-two minutes, and mm-hmm. I really think it adds really well to the story because it's a continuation. So you get a lot of the original film within the first, say, twenty minutes to half hour, maybe. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a good, um, a good chunk of the film where you do get a lot of the original film. Yeah, because Dumbo doesn't realize he can fly until the very end of the animated film. And this one, he learns he can fly pretty darn quick into it. Mm-hmm. And um, I do like some of the subtle changes, that he, like subtle nods and changes that Tim Burton added. Like, uh, well, not having he didn't add any talking animals. So like the mm-hmm. stork at the beginning of the film, no Timothy Mouse, which was like, oh, how's this going to work? Yeah. But uh but replacing uh, Timothy Mouse with Millie and Josh to be the ones that are talking dumb the whole time is good gist. But I do, I do love, for some reason, I do love the symbolism of having the stork appear at Mrs. Jumbo's uh, train car mm-hmm. the night that Dumbo arrives instead of having the stork deliver Dumbo to her. Yeah. I thought that was a nice change of pace. But then the whole second act and then the additions to this film, the second act, I think it's a very, it's very Tim Burton-y. And also the same way, at the same time, it fits into the story. Like, because at the end of the original animated film, you get all these newspaper headlines of what Dumbo's achieving. And instead of doing Dumbo-inspired bomber planes, why wouldn't Dumbo be picked up by... A larger circus and then be set free it's almost right it's almost it feels right because you know and it goes back to what we talk about modernizing thing with elephants not being used in circus anymore and them f- people fighting for animals rights and circuses and 
the spoiler alert at the end of the film when uh Manichi brothers family realizes they're being fired from the Dreamland circus, they come up with this plan with Holt to set Dumbo and his mother free when they find out that uh Mrs. Jumbo is said to be exterminated. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a perfect happy ending for Dumbo and his mother to be set free in uh into India. Absolutely. And and I really like, you know, the the route that the the circus makes where it's more about, you know, the the people and the performers than, you know, they they don't want to have the philosophy of not having animals in cages. And, you know, letting them be free and where they're supposed to be and having it more about, you know, the actors and people, have more people run than, you know, using animals and things like that. So it's, I, I really like that too, um, that they, they kind of go that route, that they can, you know, still survive as a circus, but they, you know, can, they can move forward and restructure themselves differently and, and still be able to, you know, it's sort of their way of moving forward from what they used to do. And, you know, because they, you know, realize, well, maybe we shouldn't use, you know, shouldn't be using animals. It should be where they, they belong. And um, so I think it's that was a really cool choice um, of where to take that story. Yeah, and uh, may I say another awesome change that Tim Burton made? Pink Elephants on Parade segment by turning it instead of Dumbo getting drunk on champagne having been the bubble segment and is having a love i love dumbo's this fascination with watching it mm-hmm. and then danny elfman's take on the score for that scene just great absolutely yeah i really i you know it was my I, I hate to say it but it was my first time actually seeing the original animated film um I did this for, for podcast homework, so I'd be able to kind of talk about, sort of compare a little bit of, between the two. And I, you know, watching the the new one because I watched the original and then I watched the new one, and how many? It, it's almost like little references throughout the film, but it fits in so naturally with the story. Like you said, like the the bubbles and and Dumbo being fascinated watching them, and just those little things that it just replaced throughout the film but it all works really well. Yeah. And I think this is, uh, Tim Burton did a great job with Alice in Wonderland too. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk about this more here in a little bit, but like, I really think Dumbo was another film in the Disney animated library that was right up his alley. Absolutely. I don't think I ever had a shadow of a doubt in my mind that Tim Burton could knock Dumbo out of the park with or without Timothy Mouse or Talking Crows or anything. Like, I had no shadow of a doubt that this, like, if there's any director that could do Dumbo justice, it would be Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. Okay. And unlike most of the other, and unlike most of the other live action remakes, a lot of them, like The Lion King, was just shot for shot remake of the one from '93. Mm-hmm. Tim Burton at least went, yeah, he, he paid his. He paid his tributes to uh, the original and then went and made his own thing. Absolutely. Because I think if you're, you know, you're going to, 
you know, remake a film? Are you going to do it, you know, like a live action sort of thing? You know, yes, you know, pay respect to the to the original film, and but but make it your own at the end of the day. And that's what definitely Tim Burton did, absolutely. Like, he, he took the story, and he sort of did his own thing with it. And it was very well done. Any other thoughts? No, I think I think it's good. All right. So why don't you go ahead and uh, bring on our next guest? And that would be our next um, contribution to our feel good films is Mr. Tim Rooney, and he's been on our show before. Um, he's also hosts two podcasts: uh, Please Rewind and the Anything Goes podcast. Hello, everyone. My name is Tim Rooney, and I was asked by Jared and Melissa to provide one of my favorite feel-good movies. And I actually did a podcast about this recently on my own show, The Anything Goes Podcast. Uh, but I'm going to try something a little different. I'm not going to try and repeat those movies. And the movies that are my feel-good movies, the ones that I go to when I'm feeling low or just want to feel better about myself, the movies that I, I go to are cliche if you know me ones are like batman 89 uh back to the future um caddyshack of all things like i know it's like it's a it's a raucous comedy but i absolutely adore the flick and it just makes me laugh like nothing else very much like how airplane does and yeah those are the ones that just like especially like as i'm recording this is a very rainy day today and like just want to sit down at, or lay down and just watch those movies and feel good about myself. And so, yeah, those movies that are my feel-good ones. And uh, I hope this is uh, sufficient enough for you. I hope you all my recommendations check out those movies you haven't done in a long time or have never done it before. Who knows? Uh, yeah, so I hope everybody's doing well and hope you like my choices. Thanks. All right. What do you think of Tim's choices? Um solid across the board and i've seen all three of these <laughs> actually well they're, they're his choices yeah. and... <laughs> no i i really like them i, I think he, he picked some great movies very fitting that he picked batman 89 while we talk about a tim burton film of course right <laughs> i uh... Any man that picks Tim Burton is a man after my own heart, I say. And uh, I do love Batman 89. And uh, Back to the Future trilogy, describe like a perfect film trilogy. I think when I think of perfect film trilogies, I think of Back to the Future and I think of Bill and Ted. Don't at me. (laughs) (laughs) And Tim, 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 thank you for picking Caddyshack because. I fucking love Caddyshack, and well, I was kind of raised on Caddyshack, so I guess you can say it might explain a lot when I'd say, like, hey, I was raised on Revenge of the Nerds, Porky's, Animal House, Caddyshack. Look at me now, like, oh, that explains a lot about Jared. (laughs) 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 Great choices, my friend. And uh, I have to say, Tim, a little disappointed you didn't pick anything Barbara Crampton in it. And he he you had one job, Tim. I'm I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> Tim, we're just kidding. We love you. Yeah. 
Absolutely. <laughs> now it's time to get heavy. So how do scenes like Mrs. Jumbo being taken away, being spoiled in the trailer, still manage to be heartbreaking in the film? I think it's it's because as you're watching the film, you're invested in it. You're invested in you know the environment, the characters. Um, you're you're a little bit more engaged with it, and so when that comes up in the film, it hits hard. <laughs> it really you know it really gets you, and it, it it's it's emotional. It's heartbreaking. It's it's just really really sad, and um, I think you know seeing it in a trailer. I mean, it, it it still sort of is emotional, but it's not on the same level as when you're watching the film itself. It's a trailer is your short scenes of you know a preview of what you'd you'd be seeing in a film, and so you don't really get much like emotional connection out of it. I mean, you can be excited, you can look forward to it, but you're not fully emotionally invested until you're actually watching the film. So I think when you're you know, watching the film, it just, it really is a, uh, quite the gut punch and it, it hits you, um, it hits you right in the emotions and it, it's, yeah, it, it manages to, to be heartbreaking, even though you've already sort of had a, a glimpse of it. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, even you sing, you said you saw the animated Dumbo for the first time before we started recording, um, you don't see Mrs. Jumbo and Dumbo being torn apart. And you, you have the scene where Mrs. Jumbo retaliates, but against that kid that let's be honest, fucking deserved what he got coming to him. <laughs> um, but then they, they show them trying to take Mrs. Jumbo down. They show them taking Dumbo away. And then it just cuts to Mrs. Jumbo being locked in, a, in her, uh, cart. But in this one, they are like physically almost ripping her from Dumbo at this point, and uh, mostly because she killed a guy that fucking deserved what he got. <laughs> and then Minichi wanting his money back for Dumbo being a, a freak in his eyes, and um, but I still don't know what it is that. <laughs> I don't know what it is. It's so heartbreaking about it. Like, you see in the trailer and it's still sad, but I don't know what it is. Like it brings those tears. And even if you know Dumbo before you saw this film, you know, at one point his mother's being taken away. Mm-hmm. And I think we mentioned that uh, that video last year. It's, it's like Tim Burton saw the original animated film and said, Oh, you thought that was sad. Hold my beer. And he found a way to make it sadder. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I really don't, I don't get it. It just kind of sticks up on you like a ninja. Yeah, it, it really does. It You you know, like, if you know the story, it's like, you know, it's it's coming, you're going to see it. And I think then it, it's, yeah, it just sneaks up on you. And suddenly you're, you're emotional, you're an emotional wreck. And I know the first time I saw that film and um, I, I cried for, like that entire time, like it, it was just waterworks. Um, <laughs> it was just such a such an emotional moment and a scene, and 
Um, I think too because you know the 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 elephants they look so real. So it just I mean like it you still feel that with the animated characters of course, but I think just because the elephants were so real looking and the reactions were very real and it just I, I think that just it hits more because you really care for them and and you don't want them to be hurt and you know they're they're not being treated well in that moment so you really feel for them and and yeah it, it makes you cry <laughs> well i think another thing in the trailer is okay it's gonna give you a heads up this was coming if you didn't know already with dumbo ahead of time I think probably what makes it more heartbreaking is that you're seeing time with Mrs. Jumbo and Dumbo bond before she is taken away. Yeah. So now you're seeing the context of it is how close Dumbo and his mother are. Like we said at the beginning of the film, nobody loves you like your mother, no matter what. Um. So you see you see the effect that it has on Dumbo the rest of the film, just like it has in the original film. Mm-hmm. Losing and whatever Disney's affinity is with main characters not having moms. At least Mrs. Jumbo got to live, at least. Yeah. <laughs> but um uh but I think I think what makes it more heartbreaking is that you're seeing those scenes of Mrs. Jumbo and Dumbo bonding before she's taken away, and how protective she is of Dumbo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that even you know from you know the very start, she's she's very protective and caring of him, and it's just you know you're you're so happy to see them bond and connect and you know, connect even more because they, you know, they already have that, that strong connection and you're so happy for them. And then it's just ripped from you. And, oh, it, it, yeah, it's, it's quite the, the tough thing to, it, it's almost tough to watch because it's just so, such a heartbreaking moment. Tim Burton made a grown man with a beard cry. <laughs> well, I didn't have the beard back then, but now I have something to dry the tears with now, I guess. Yep, there you go. <laughs> My beard smells like Christmas cookies and tears. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So our next list of feel-good movies comes from another guest we haven't heard yet. Um, somebody I'm hoping to get on in the future. And it's, this is somebody I've been following for a long time and all of his 12 million shows. Um, this is Andy D. Genova from the Real Fans for Real Movies podcast. Uh, Holy Backcast, which is his main show. Uh, Why Not Futurama and Disorder. And I highly recommend all four shows. So uh, let's hear from Andy. Hey guys, this is Andy DiGenova from Holy Batcast and Disorder Every Disney Film. And uh, thank you for inviting me to chime in and talk about what I consider my feel-good movies. And I don't know how you're defining feel-good, but for me it's obviously movies that when it's over, you're smiling, you're happy, you're in a better mood. But I also think that 
it's about comfort. It's movies that bring you comfort, that you're always in the mood to watch, that uh, you can put on any day of the week and they just cheer you up. It doesn't mean the movie is exceedingly cheerful. It just means that it makes you feel better. So uh, I have a few. I mean, honestly, I have a, a thousand. Could be a, a two-hour long clip, but I'm going to try and make it quick. Uh, first of all, Batman, obviously, from 1989. Uh, I do a show about Batman. That movie is a, a comfort movie. Uh, it always makes me feel good when I watch it. It brings me back to my childhood, sitting in the theater at 10 years old. And uh, it's just so darn entertaining. It is, uh, it's always great to revisit Batman. So obviously I'm talking about the 1989 one. There are a lot of great Batman movies, but that's the one that when I want to feel good, when I want to feel comforted, I go back to that one. Uh, another one, which I talk about probably more than anyone, it's Twister. Twister always makes me feel good. It just, it's like a good, exciting, entertaining, light, and just cool summer movie. It makes me feel like, yeah, going to the movies in the summer in the 90s when I was a, you know, just ending high school. Uh, the movie feels like summer. I can almost feel the heat as they're chasing tornadoes. The music is great. It's 90s nostalgia. And it's just a super entertaining movie that I never get tired of. Um, and then the other one was just a year later, also in the 90s. It's Disney because I had to mention Batman for Holy Batcast. I got to mention a Disney movie for Disorder. And that's Hercules. Disney's Hercules. Because that's truly a feel-good movie because not only is it just a really great movie it's so darn fun it's so darn rewatchable it's so funny it's just easy to watch and it always puts me in a good mood it always makes me laugh the characters are great the animation is great the music is great and you want to talk about music that lets you you turn off the movie and it makes you want to dance that final song a star is born there's a reason I chose it to end disorder because it's a song that always makes me feel good. So there you go. Those are three of my feel-good movies. Again, I could give you 30 more without even trying, but I thought it was a nice cross-section. So Batman, Twister, Hercules. Hope that helps. My best to all of you. Uh, keep up the good work, and thank you again for including me. Talk to you soon. Bye. All right. Batman 89, I'm starting to feel the Tim Burton trend here. Mm-hmm. Very much so. <laughs> and Melissa's just secretly playing that uh praying that the guests are saying movies she's heard of before or seen before. <laughs> Come on, reanimator! <laughs> What are your thoughts on uh, Twister and Hercules, Melissa? Um, I haven't seen Twister, uh, but I've seen Hercules, and I really do like that film. It's it's a fun film. Well, uh, Andy's a Midwestern boy like I am, and that's almost too dead on balls accurate what summer is like here in the like late spring and the summer is here in the midwest Torn tornadoes all the time i know i didn't see this film till i was much older because i was terrified of tornadoes as a kid it seems like we're having tornado warnings every other goddamn week in the summertime sometimes oh wow but uh but seeing the um film like much older probably late teens early 20s like this is a really damn good film i can see why andy likes it so much and uh it might even be 
besides Santa and Drace a few years ago, it might be one of the more modern, uh, uh, more modern uh, disaster films that I'm thinking of. With that and you had the the, vault, the competing volcano movies back in the late '90s with uh, Dante's Peak and was it just called Volcano? Then you had San Andreas just a few years ago. So yeah, it's a it's a good homage to those uh, disaster movies that took place back in the '70s. Mm-hmm. I give it. A, I highly recommend it. Most I think you'd like it. It's got a uh, Helen Hunt and uh, Bill Paxton and Philip Seymour Hoffman in it. Okay. I think you really like it. Good good action to it. And Hercules, I can't agree more. I think Hercules, I may be in the minority. I think Hercules is probably my favorite Renaissance-era Disney film. Like, I was a kid in the height of the Disney Renaissance, so a lot of the princess films came out in that time, and... Or a lot of the more probably more well known, more recognized nowadays princess films came out in the Renaissance era. Mm. I always lean more towards Hercules. I liked Hercules, and I agree. A Star Is Born because of this order, I put A Star Is Born on my iPod playlist. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's been a minute since I've seen uh, seen Hercules. I think it's due for a rewatch at some point. Definitely. And, and Andy, I have to correct you. Hercules. Don't you mean Huncules? <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Andy. And we, once you get back stateside, we are going to work to get you on the show. I promise, man. All right. So, Melissa. Does the character Dumbo fit in with Tim Burton's niche of creating lovable misfits? Yes. Absolutely. Because, you know, Dumbo is very much a misfit. He, he looks different from, um, from other, the other elephants. And especially um, you get that disconnect from him and the other elephants in the original animated film like it's a big part of the the film where they just completely exclude him and even just you know he's not an elephant anymore like he's just not one of us and um he's still very different in in this film too um so i i he definitely fits into that that um niche for for tim burton creating you know, the, the lovable misfit, the person who, who doesn't quite fit in, but they have really amazing qualities that, you know, you just really love about them. And so, yeah, Dumbo definitely fits in. thousand percent. Well said, well said. So I was thinking at work earlier today about this question, and I look back a lot of Tim Burton's catalog I think uh, I'm as I'm right sitting right now in my living room. I see I have a decoration from Spirit Halloween that says Misfits on it, and it's got the Nightmare Before Christmas characters on it. I think of Edward Scissorhands. I think of um, excuse me. I think of uh, Victor and uh, Sparky from Frankenweenie. I think of Victor and Emily from Corpse Bride. Like they. they are characters that do not fit in the molds they were being forced to be in, mm-hmm. but still are lovable. 
and I even think even to a lesser extent, like Lydia Dietz, I think of Ed Wood, who were characters that were not normal. Not normal. Well, not not normal. It makes it sound kind of bad, but um, they are not. They're not normal in a good way. They do not fit in with normal society. Yeah, the, the society kind of frowns upon them because they don't follow the the norms of what society expects of them or like especially in in the sense of maybe how they look how they are um you know lifestyle choices all things like that where you know they sort of do their own thing and society kind of looks at them sideways like what are you doing like they they don't society doesn't understand them so they're they're very misunderstood and they're you know become that that misfit within that their environment and um yeah but you they're not stat they're not status quo absolutely yeah but it, it but there are other you know they're they're them as a person character you know they're they're lovable because they have really great qualities about them and you know whatever their interests may be and things like that so you you really connect with them and you know that that's what makes them really really great i agree and like thinking earlier today i really want to see tim burton tackle like a a spin-off movie of the island of misfit toys yes if the Miser Brothers got their own spinoff, how come the Island of Misfit Toys don't get one? Yeah, absolutely. That's seriously that needs to be a thing, and Tim Burton needs to be all over that. <laughs> <laughs> so if any of the powers that be, or if Tim himself is listening, Tim, welcome. Uh, get on it. Uh, yeah, yeah. Tim Burton does have that. He's been pigeonholed into that doing these misfit characters, but he does it so well. He finds the beauty in imperfection with these, with these characters. And I'm racking through all these major characters in the Disney animation studios library. And like Dumbo comes off the, off the bat comes off the top of my head right away. Uh, Alice in Wonderland, which he, Alice in Wonderland, which he also did. Um, I would say Wreck-It Ralph would be like a little misfit too, but it might be a long way off until we get that. But mm. like he tackled it so well. And it makes me think back to the original animated film where when Timothy Mouse is overhearing the matriarch elephant and all the elephants dump on him and call him a freak and all that stuff. And he goes, he's like, well, what's wrong with his ears? I think they're cute. And, standing up for him and all that stuff and he has that friend on his side and in the live action film you have Millie and Josh standing up for him because even uh, Holt does come around on him eventually and so does Colette eventually and, and uh, DeVito does eventually uh, Max comes around on him eventually once he starts making him money but um, you see that Millie and Josh the million Josh are essentially the stand-ins for Timothy Mouse in this version of the film. And it plays up a thing I want to talk about later on when we talk about it. 
when we talk about lessons to learn in the film, it, it talks about family. And Millie tells Dumbo that everything in the circus is family. And how he's so well appreciated. Like, you don't get a whole lot of the sense that he's being ousted from the other elephants in this film. Um, it does play a little part in it um, when they bring him out in the diaper and the, the bonnet and everything. And then the other elephants are stomping around. But you could also attribute that to uh, the elephants being scared of everything that's going on around them. Um, which just caused Mrs. Jumbo to freak out. Um, but it's just it's that sense of love. Because, you know, a lot of the base of the Medici Brothers Circus is based around, like, the sideshow, the freak show, and how close-knit they are. Mm. And um, one character that comes to mind is, um, I'm sorry, I'm probably going to butcher the name, but Roshan Seth, who played uh, Parma, uh, Parmish Singh, who was the snake charmer. And how... He's out when Mrs. Jumbo's being taken away. He says, We'll take care of your baby for you. Or saying, um, Goodbye, little one. All that stuff. So it's, I can, I can already feel the tears starting to come because those are like moments that make me want to well up with how much he cares, like him individually, and how they all want to see him before they're fired. Mm. All that stuff. So, it shows that the love is there for him because in the original one, it's really only Timothy that cares and loves about um, about Dumbo. The clowns, they love him more for the fact that the Dumbo diving into the water or into the what do you call those things that he jumped onto? Not like a trampoline, but jumping onto the thing in the fire escape scene. Oh. They love Dumbo because it made their their sketch of success. It made their bit of success. Mm. Yeah. Long story short, I've kind of, I've kind of rambled a bit, but uh, yeah, Tim Burton really knocks those little missiles out of the park. And Dumbo is like a, you put the whole Disney animated library in your head. I think that's like a good fit. Cause you think of like Cinderella. No. Winnie the Pooh. No. Mm, maybe Pinocchio. Maybe. Maybe. Well, like you look at any of the princesses, like the princesses, none of the princesses would be a good fit for him. Beating the Beast, no. So like Dumbo's a perfect fit for him, I think. If because that is Tim Burton's wheelhouse. He's it's it's what he's good at. Like everybody every director has their niche, and I think he's good at doing lovable misfit and doing it well absolutely and i think i think too because he he's a you know he's he's a misfit himself he's he's not somebody who's always sort of you know understood by by others and what he does is very different and i think that's where he really like putting himself in in the creating these environments where there's other misfits and things is very much like his I think it's sort of his comfort zone where he can create these characters and make them lovable and things like that and because it's sort of he himself is is part of that too and I'm glad like 
there are directors like that out here, like like Tim Burton, like Kevin Smith, like Rob Zombie, mm-hmm. that do their own thing. Or uh, I'm not a huge fan of him. Like Wes Anderson, other example. Yeah. They do they do their thing. And it fits them. Del Toro, Gilbert Del Toro, another one, Eli Roth, Tarantino, mm-hmm. all these directors that do their own thing. And whether the Academy considers them to be a success or not, they have their fans. Absolutely. Tim it's- Burton has his fans, whether his whether he wins Oscars or awards or not, he has his fans that stand by his work. Mm. Absolutely. And I, I have, you know, full respect for those who, who do their own thing and, you know, because they, they love doing it and they, you know, they have such creativity and it's really cool to see that it, they're, they don't just copy paste what everybody else is doing. They do their own thing. And I, I really admire and respect that a lot. Yeah. Zack Snyder, another one does his own thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Melissa, who's up next in our, uh, from our podcasting family? We have Lisa from I love that movie podcast. Hey, this is Lisa with I Love That Movie, and you asked what some of my favorite feel-good movies are. I know this has been kind of a tough year, and so we all have some go-to movies uh, that we rely on to make us feel better, and here's my list. Uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, absolutely adore that movie. If I'm having a bad day, pop that in, instant good day. Same with Singing in the Rain. I absolutely adore all the songs. I love this movie so much. I've seen it so many times. And then some more like nostalgic childhood ones would be like The Goonies. I absolutely love that film. I know it's got its problematic elements. Not arguing that, but I think just my memories growing up with it, it's one of my favorites. Uh, I also love Blues Brothers. Um, Seen that like a hundred times. Always puts me in a good mood. The Back to the Future trilogy. I said what I said. The entire trilogy is amazing. Absolutely adore it. Uh, Love Lord of the Rings trilogy as well. Seen it countless times. Um, and then all the Harry Potter movies, all of them, all of them. I absolutely love seeing all those. So those are some of my go-tos. I know there's something I'm forgetting, but those are most of them. So yeah, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Lisa. Melissa, what are your thoughts? I, quite the list. <laughs> I'm looking for that. Um, and I really like all her choices. Um, safe to say I haven't seen... Singing in the Rain or Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Um, but I definitely want to check them out at some point. But still a very solid list. Um, really awesome choices. Yeah, I'm starting to see a theme here with uh, the Back to the Future trilogy here. And yeah, Goonies. Goonies, I know Lisa's an 80s kid like me, so Goonies definitely has to be on that list for uh, feel-good movies. Yeah. Takes me back to being like being in second grade and watching it in class. <laughs> of course, Blues Brothers. Who doesn't love Blues Brothers? Right. I actually Communi- I, I watched that recently. Com- Communists and Nazis, particularly <laughs> Illinois Nazis, don't like Blues Brothers, and I hate <laughs> Illinois Nazis. 
Yeah. Good thing I don't go on Twitter much because I do not want to see all the hate tweets I'm going to get for not singing "Singing in the Rain." <laughs> I will have to I will have to uh, rectify that here sooner rather than later. Yeah, absolutely. Lord of the Rings trilogy. I just I feel old looking at that because <laughs> when we had when we when we had Tim on last episode, we talked about how. Uh, Fellowship is be 20 years old this year. I'm like, holy shit, I was in high school when that film came out. (laughs) (laughs) So I know I was in college when Return of the King came out. Yeah. The Harry Potter franchise. I am still a muggle by pop culture standards, Lisa. I am a Hufflepuff in training. (laughs) But I am I am on the third book, audio book, but it still counts. Thank you, Lisa. Yes, thank you so much. Lisa, where do the where does this film rank for you in the, all the Disney live action remakes? It it ranks pretty high. Um, I I mean I <laughs> um it, I almost I, I'm almost ashamed to say it, but um. I only've seen three live, three of the live action uh, remakes, and um, first one being uh, Alice in Wonderland, and then uh, Beauty and the Beast, and then Dumbo. Um, Dumbo is second on my list of three, and Alice in Wonderland is first, and then third is Beauty and the Beast. I've I was wondering if we're going to count Alice in Wonderland on the list because that one came out long before the other ones started coming out. Because what so I want to say maybe it was the Jungle Book is the one that kicked off the trend, wasn't it? Because Alice in Wonderland was 2010, 2009, which I did see that one too, and I did love that one, and also the Tim Burton film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I was wondering. If you're going to count that one or not, I don't know if it it's, gets. It was, I think it gets. I, I think it gets looped into it. I think so. Um, it like because it was an animated film at one point, and so it's more live action this time. So I would. I would definitely count it. Yeah, Dumbo's definitely number one for me. I've like you. I've only seen three of them. I've seen. Alice in Wonderland, I've seen Dumbo, and I saw the Jungle Book remake. And I I enjoyed the Jungle Book remake, too. Um, I admit, I'm like, I think I mentioned earlier with, when, with Andy's selections, I'm not the, the hugest fan of a lot of the Renaissance films, because maybe, because they're, I think they're probably aimed more towards girls with, like, let's see what the live action remakes lately. You've had Beating the Beast, um, Mulan, like Mulan, a $30 price tag for Mulan on Disney Plus turned me off right away. But then again, I'm not a family. So if you're a family, it makes sense for you to pay 30 bucks to watch on Disney Plus. Me, I'm more than likely a, a one please when I go to the, the ticket office. So I'm not going to pay 30 bucks for one film. Um, Cinderella is another one I haven't seen. Uh, Lion King, which is... I think Lion King and Beating the Beast 
probably catch the flack the the those two probably catch the most flack for the live action remakes. Yeah. And mostly because mostly Lion King because it's a shot for shot remake essentially. Yeah. And then and then uh, Beauty and the Beast gets catches a lot of flack for different reasons like Emma Watson being auto tuned to death and some of the other stuff that's in it. Well, I'm gonna die on on a hill as I always do, and I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was really well done and um, beautifully done, and you know, I I really enjoyed it. So, whatever. <laughs> and I I outright menus at restaurants. Yep, and I like I outright refuse to see the live action Lion King because no, I I love the original animated one. That's like my ultimate favorite Disney film ever is The Lion King. I absolutely adore that film. So yeah, that that one definitely holds a special very special place in my heart and so yeah, the seeing the live action remake, no. It's not gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, saw, I, saw, I saw Lion King and Aladdin a lot growing up. Mm. But just I don't know why. No desire to see the live action remakes. I guess yeah. I I don't know what it is. I'm I'm not trying to throw a shade against them at all. I just no desire. Like I loved Dumbo. I loved Alice in Wonderland. I enjoyed Jungle Book. Mm-hmm. Jungle Book wasn't necessarily a favorite of mine growing up, but I still love it. Mm-hmm. I still love anime Jungle Book. It, um. It's far from being a favorite Disney top ten Disney animated film for me, but I still enjoyed the live action remake. Most because I was curious to see Bill Murray as Baloo and uh, Idris Elba as uh, Shere Khan. Mm. I thought it was well done. Yeah. Even like I like I I really love the Jungle Book, like the animated film. I I really enjoy it, and for me, I didn't really have any desire to see the, the live action remake it was just something that no um wasn't really something I, I wanted to to see not because like I really had anything against it but just no I, you know I'll, I'll stick with my my animated film <laughs> same with Aladdin too yeah that was good <laughs> very well so Melissa who's up next we have uh, Mr. Jeremy Lloyd, and he's from Dark Tower Radio. Boss, I had an idea to lighten up my image. A special feature. Films I have loved. Okay, but this better not be a list of already foreign films that nobody gives a crap about. Let me just revise the list a little. Huh? Hey, Jared and Melissa, this is your friend Jeremy over at Dark Tower Radio. I just wanted to chime in for your guys' discussion on feel-good movies. Um, So some of my feel-good movies, you know, movies that really put me in a good mood, uh, they're always like a, you know, a warm blanket, you know, whenever I'm feeling down, I put these movies on and they always cheer me up. Um, So here we go. Um, The Back to the Future trilogy, uh, Jurassic Park, um, The Big Lebowski uh, Fight Club, oddly enough, which is kind of a weird one to say, but um, 
any of the uh, the Zucker brother movies. So that includes like the Naked Gun movies, the Hot Shots, Airplanes, you know, any of those kind of slapstick spoof uh, movies are always always in my queue ready to go. Um, so yeah, so those are, those are some of my favorite, uh, feel good movies that I like to put on and they always put me in a good mood. So, uh, looking forward to the episode. Thanks. (laughs) Of course, Jeremy would insert the freaking clip from the critic. Well done, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, Jeremy, you don't have to petition to be on to discuss season two. We're going to have you. We'll get around to it. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love the critic. <laughs> so good. <laughs> so, Melissa, what do you think about Jeremy's... Uh, list uh, yeah, I see I see Jeremy's keeping the theme here I I'm willing to bet that Jeremy and Lisa and Tim like contacted each other first before they, they emailed in it, it really seems like it doesn't it <laughs> I mean or they just you know they really know a good trilogy and they it's what they love but I I think there's something something under the table here going on (laughs) all right okay now that it's out there lisa jeremy tim if you're listening we have an episode where we discuss how the back to future trilogy is a perfect trilogy i'm throwing the invite out there now message me if you're interested but um i do like some of the Choices that Jeremy came up with, like Big Lebowski, is, is a f- fucking hilarious film, and <laughs> I do like Fight Club. I, I like Fight Club. That'd be, I do enjoy watching Fight Club. It's one of my favorite Edward Norton films. Plus, Tim Burton tie has got Helena Bonham Carter in it. Really? And yeah, <laughs> it's right. got a huge. It, it's got a huge. It's got a huge cast in it. It's one of my favorite Brad Pitt films, for one. So I this have, ca- this film, just 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 to name a few, a comic book movie. But this film is Brad Pitt, Edward Norton, Helena Bottom Carter, Jared Leto, and Meatloaf, just to name a few. Holy shit. Wow, I actually, I haven't seen the film, but I really want to now, because, holy cow. (laughs) This is Bob. Bob has bitch tits. (laughs) All right, listeners at home, it can't just be me and Guy, who chuckled when he said Jurassic Park and thought of Laura Dern instantly. Everybody raise your hands. <laughs> <laughs> Jeremy, I agree. Uh, Jurassic Park, another feel-good film, because Jeremy, you're about a year older than me, so I was about eight when Jurassic Park came out. I vividly remember seeing this film in the theater. It takes me back every time. And when I went and saw it at the drive-in last year, it took me back to being an eight-year-old kid singing in the theater again. Definitely a feel-good film. And I, 
you could never go wrong with a good Zucker Brothers movie. Let's face it. Like you listed off a lot of good ones, Jeremy, but you forgot to mention like one of the best ones ever. That's basketball. Oh, come on. Basketball it combines the Zucker Brothers with Matt Parker and Trey Stone, who are comedic geniuses themselves. <laughs> yeah. At least I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. What's your thoughts on Jeremy's list? I I really like his, his list. It's uh, definitely another solid list, and um, you know, I him picking Jurassic Park. I definitely can't swallow my thoughts on it, but I'll spit it out anyway. <laughs> Points. I I love the film too, and it's definitely a <laughs> a feel good film. So I I watch it pretty regularly, actually. Yeah, thank you, Jeremy. We'll be, and we'll be in talks to get you on for uh, season two of the critic here soon. And uh, that is a fun fact. That is uh, Victoria, who you heard earlier. That's one of her favorite episodes. Is season one of the critic. So, what lessons do you take away from this film? Um, definitely, you know, nobody like we've we've mentioned it quite a few times during this episode, but. You know, nobody loves you like your mom. And, you know, loving unconditionally, you know, flaws, anything, flaws, quote unquote, um, everything, just loving unconditionally and accepting and being accepting of, of others, even if they happen to look a little bit different. It doesn't matter. It's who they are first than anything else. And, um, yeah, different. And then you know, um, knowing uh, where am I going with this? Um, basically, doing what's right. What's right at the end of the day. That you know, maybe the the path that you're going down, you know, isn't such a good one, but you can always turn it around and change it. I agree. Um... Nobody loves you like your mother. And when I think of three pop culture icons that nobody loves their son like their mother does, I think of Mrs. Jumbo, Pamela Voorhees, and Mrs. Bates. Because <laughs> I know every Mother's Day, I either share a Norman Bates quote, <laughs> a boy's best friend is his mother. Or I share a picture of Pamela Voorhees. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, like you said, I'll repeat it once again. Nobody loves you like your mother. And I really think Dumbo is the one film that hammers that point home. And like we mentioned earlier, like Disney has an affinity for not having moms mentioned in their films at all. Like, I think of like mothers that had an impact on their characters, like they appeared in film. I think of Dumbo, Bambi, then I know I'm going to miss a bunch here, but then I flash forward to Frozen mm. all those years later. 
Like how many of those mothers have been axed off screen, including Bambi's mom and then Elsa and Anna's mom bite it in uh, Frozen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of an insensitive term. <laughs> they bite it. <laughs> <laughs> what an asshole. <laughs> but, um, yeah, Nobody Loves You Like Your Mother is a good lesson to take away from this film. And I thought of another one and. I've said it already. I touched on it briefly already. That's family. Yeah. Fuck you, Fast and the Furious franchise. This is a real depiction of family here. When you look at the, not just the relationship between Holt and his two kids, and then eventually bringing Colette into that, but you look at the whole Minichi Brothers circus and how they all look out for each other. Mm-hmm. How um, the... Uh, the Ivan the Magnificent, I believe. How him and his wife looked after uh, Millie and Josh while Holt Holt was away at war and uh, after his wife passed. Or how, uh, and uh, I could almost, the tears start to creep up again, how uh, I mentioned earlier how Parmesh talks to Mrs. Jumbo how they'll look after Dumbo for her while she's been taken away or how Dumbo pines after Mrs. Jumbo, the whole film or how the whole circus wants to help in getting setting Dumbo and Mrs. Jumbo free or how hard of a decision it is for Max to have to fire them. Once Vanderveer says, well, I don't have a spot for him. They're just cheap knockoffs of my, uh, of my ax. And these guys all stick together through thick and thin. And even at the end of the film, they are still together at the end. Mm-hmm. Max easily could have let being vice president and assistant to Vanderveer go to his head, but he still stuck to he. He wasn't even privy to the plan, but all he had to see was what was going on. Once uh, I didn't write down uh, Vanderveer's right hand man. But once he makes Vanderveer privy to what's going on and he sees Holt climb up the side of the tent, he's on board right away. Mm-hmm. So I think I think a big thing you take a big lesson to take away is how important family is. And and family isn't always um blood related. You took the words right out of my mouth. And you think they say you can't pick your family members, but I think in this instance, instances like this, you can. Absolutely. So I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of friends that I consider family. A lot of people that are brothers to me. I have my tug family. We have our podcasting family, mm-hmm. and we all stick together. Yeah, we all support each other. Absolutely. You know, for me, I'll, I'll get a little bit, um, I'll be a little bit open at this moment. <laughs> um, but, like, I had, it was back in 2016, um, my parents divorced. And I basically had family that I, people that I called family for uh, 25 years, um, basically be torn apart from me. And 
they they just I, I always joke that they they just kind of went off to Siberia or something um <laughs> but yeah they they left that was it um they they weren't family anymore and I've since you know I've I've found family you know people that I consider family through podcasting through just you know like I, I attend MI Paracon there's people that that I go see that I consider family um yeah it's it's not always blood related and so you know I had a I had blood related family completely walk away from me and but I found a new one and that's you know pretty cool That's, uh, divorce is a very unfortunate thing to happen to anybody. My parents have been divorced since I was eight, so I, but I've been fortunate enough to have my parents remain friends. My family remained friends through all that, but um, some people aren't always as lucky. But at least you didn't let it define you, and you found solace in other families. Like I said, family is not always blood-related. Love the family that you can't pick and love the family that you do pick. And and Disney does do a good job of that, too, of being family, like depicting family. Think of Anna and Elsa. Like, look at the relationship between Anna and Elsa. Mm-hmm. Or even to the extent of Wreck It Ralph. How Ralph just wants to be accepted. And then when he finally finds somebody in Vanellope that accepts him, it's a beautiful thing for him. It's something he does not want to let go of. And look how welcome Dumbo is in this family of the circus like he is welcome with open arms he's not treated like an outcast like he is in the original well he's an outcast of sorts in this film but he's not treated like the outcast he is in the original animated film where it's only his only friend in the world is timothy mouse whereas in this film he has millie he has josh he has the rest of the sideshow looking out for him mm-hmm. and even sacrificing things to help them set them free at the end of the film. Mm. Is uh, there any other lessons you take away from the film? No, I, I think that's it. That's the big one for me. Oh, yeah, I guess, like, I think they got the little side plot with Millie, too. It kind of pays back into what Michael mentioned earlier in his films with Meet the Robinsons of always moving forward or keep moving forward. With uh, her wanting to study, uh, be study science and advancements and all that stuff. Yeah. And she wants to keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we So uh, you can also go back into. Go back into uh, a modernizing of this film. How Millie wants to look to the future. Mm-hmm. How they can how they can modernize their circus. Well, 
I'd say the big one I take away from it is family. Yeah. Definitely. All right. So our next one comes from a guy. <laughs> See what I did there? Comes from a podcaster your voice you should know very well, and that's our good friend of the show, Guy Milks. So let's he is a frequent co-host of Please Rewind, the RF Forum Retro Show, and a frequent co-host of uh, Dark Tower Radio with uh, Jeremy. So let's see what Guy has to say. Hey, guys. As a guy with his uh, feel-good movies, um, as everyone knows, my favorite movie of all time is uh, 1950s Harvey with uh, Jimmy Stewart. Um, that movie... Man, it doesn't matter how how low of a mood I'm in or how absolutely happy I am. Um, that movie always makes my mood better. Always. Every time. Um, then we have, uh, a couple months ago, we talked about the penis movie on your, on your show. Um, that one just had you smiling through the entire time. Um, you could go with... Any one of the Muppet movies, but for my money, it's the original 1978 Muppet, the Muppet movie. Um, God, perfect songs, um, just got you smiling. Uh, just, it just makes you feel so, so good. Um, and then, uh, Real Steel, man, <laughs> that's my, that's my annual Father's Day movie. But man, it just it just makes you feel good. I mean, you're cheering at the end. You're just so happy. Um, the Iron Giant. Um, yeah, yeah, that one just makes you feel so good. Um, Chef, John Favreau's Chef, just a really good uh, feel good movie. Singing in the Rain. Uh, that that one's got great songs. Uh, another just a nice song and dance, and just makes you smile the entire time. I would say uh, Shazam. <laughs> that one, uh, that one just it really makes you feel good too, especially at the end when when he says "All hands on deck." Oh goodness, I, just smiling. Um, yeah, uh, that's just the ones off the top of my head right now. Um, I hope I didn't go over too much, <laughs> and I hope I, I hope I gave you some ones that uh, no one else gave. You know, uh, I'm sure somebody said like Toy Story and oh Treasure Planet. You can do Treasure Planet. Uh, that one's real. That's one I watched recently, and man, that one really good feel good movie. Like most Disney movies are. Uh, God, yeah, um, yeah. I guess I could go on for days. Um, I'm gonna stop. So. I hope this is useful, guys. Um, hope the show's good. Bye. All right, guy. Another good list and some different titles on there too. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, guy. I haven't seen Harvey yet. You're not the only one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one we can all agree on, though, peanuts. And uh, of course, guy joined us. Uh, last year, uh, last November, when we talked about the Peanuts film for its fifth anniversary. Mm-hmm. That was a really fun episode. It was. And anytime Guy is on, it's just a blast. Oh, absolutely. Um, 
Another shout out to the great, the, another shout out to the Muppet movie, mm-hmm. which great. Can I, like guys said, there's so many Muppet, like so many good Muppet movies. You can't pick just one. That's very true. Yeah. Uh, Real Steel, which anybody knows, guy knows his affinity for his boys. And this makes me feel good knowing that he has an annual Father's Day viewing with uh, this film. Yeah, I, I really love that. I, I love that that um, he has that with the with the film. I think that's really sweet. Uh, Iron Giant. Uh, that's one I've been meaning to watch. I never. I I I honestly don't remember if I watched it as a kid or not. Because I I know I. Because I've racked my brain of all the things I've seen as a kid. Like, I know I've seen Rockadoodle, which gets crapped on. I know I've seen Rover Dangerfield that gets crapped on. But I do not, for the life of me, think I saw Iron Giant. Or another one that gets mentioned a lot is Cats Don't Dance. Because, like, those are... I really... But I know I'm going to rectify that soon. I'm, I'm, I know I'm actively looking to watch Iron Giant to see if I've seen it before or not. Because I really do want to see it if I haven't before. But I'm almost certain. I just don't know. I saw so many animated movies as a kid. But I really feel like it's something that needs to be uh, addressed. And uh, hey, shocker, singing in the rain. I think, I, think our, I think our guests are trying to hint at something that we need to see singing in the rain. Yeah. I think so. I, I think they're, um, they're really, really hinting at <laughs> yeah. And uh, combo movie Shazam. I love Shazam. I, I think the last time I watched it was Christmas because I, I I've made, I threw it in my Christmas rotation. Yeah, that movie and it, is the first DC film that I saw in a movie theater. And it, what's <laughs> what's another topic of it? Family, all hands on deck. That's almost yeah. a that's almost a scene that gets the the eyes well up a little bit. The eyes get a little dusty there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the eyes get a little leaky for for a <laughs> bit there. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's so much fun. I, I'd have to say, guy, I'm probably in the majority of people that probably slept on Treasure Planet when it first came out. Yeah, I haven't when seen I, one. I, I know of it, but I I have not seen it. Yeah, that might have come out in the time where I wasn't the biggest Disney fan that I was in that in between being a huge Disney fan as a kid and being the bigger Disney fan that I am now. That's so that's probably that probably found that median then. Mm. So I, I I'm ashamed to admit that I was, um, that's probably a film I slept on, but I, it's definitely a wrong I'm going to correct. You know? <laughs> Me too. Well, thank you, guy. One more question for this round table, and Melissa, and that is. What keeps you coming back to this film? What keeps me coming back? That it's just, it's such a good story. It's, It's a really good, solid story. And it just, it, it hits you in, in, you know, a lot of the emotions and things, but it's almost when you need them. Like you need that sort of, I don't know, emotional release or something like just, you know, you need to have a good cry over something or a good smile or just, you know, things like that. And it's just, 
it's such a heartwarming story and um it's tragic it's heartwarming it's all those things but it's just a solid story and and that's what has me coming back to it um fairly often because it is so good and and Tim Burton directed it. You can't go wrong there, and you know you don't have to twist my arm too far to see a Tim Burton film because you know he makes amazing films. So that too. <laughs> <laughs> so what about you, Jared? What what makes you come back to this film? Oh, first and foremost, like I said, it's a Tim Burton film. So that's easily gonna get the. Uh... Oh, I'll throw it in the Blu-ray player. Why not? It's a Tim Burton film. But um, it's one of those films that just takes the storm clouds away. Like even yesterday when I watched it for the episode, um, even though I was already sure I knew it fairly well to begin with, I just got my second vaccine, so I had kind of a shitty day. Been a little stressful lately. I threw it on, and for that hour and 52 minutes, I didn't have a single care in the world. I didn't feel like shit after getting my vaccine again. I didn't I didn't feel stressed. My eyes didn't twitch, nothing. I phone was down. Eyes were locked on the screen. I was caught up with my girls, and I was watching this film. And like I said, Tim Burton gets my eyes to leak when I watch this film. And even as soon as I press play, like I knew the scenes that were going to get me, and they get me. And this film has also been an appreciation, along with the help of uh, Andy and Michael and Hunter over Disorder with their episode on Dumbo. This film has made me have a deeper appreciation for Dumbo, the animated film, too. And this film also a special place in my, my heart because... This film came out what February 2019, and I adopted my kitten, Little Miss Binks, in October, November of 2018. And I associate, and everybody knows me, knows I love my two cats, uh, Shadow and Little Miss Binks. And I associate them, if I see a character in a movie, I associate them with that character. In Shadow, it's always uh, since I saw Fallen Kingdom, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, Shadow is always blue to me. So me and Shadow have that blue and Owen relationship, especially when you see baby blue. But with Little Miss Binks, I didn't know what it was at first, but I associate Little Miss with Dumbo. And I got her when she was a young kitten. I lived with an ex in the one and she is so full of life and energy and talkative. And those of you who listen actively know that little miss loves to chime in with her opinions throughout this episode or throughout this show. And, um, so when I look at Dumbo, I see Banks, because I see the personality traits of Little Miss Banks. Even even those who've probably never met her could probably watch Dumbo and get that reaction. Like, thinking of Banks, because she is such a goofy girl, um, playful, energetic, and talkative. 
and full of life and wonder and just finds amazement in like the littlest things. And so she will always be my Dumbo to me. And like we say, nobody loves you like your mother, but nobody loves you like your daddy as well too. And she like blue, like shadow. She is a daddy's girl through and through. And it's one of those sentimental things that I latch onto in this film. So I, I see my little girl when I see Dumbo in this film, that makes me go back to it. And it is, like I said, it's one of those films that uh, gets me through those, those uh, days when the, the clouds are dark. Well, I'm just, I'm just going to go ahead and, and cry. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't worry. I'm, sh- I'm sure I got one coming here pretty soon. <laughs> I'm not even going to beat around the bush and be like, oh, my eyes are leaky or anything. It's like, I'm just going to go ahead and cry. <laughs> but seriously, that that is really, really sweet. And, um, you know, I'm definitely in agreement that, yeah, it's, you know, th- this film definitely, you know, pushes those dark clouds away. And, I mean, that's what, you know, feel-good films are. You know, they're, it's kind of their, kind of their job to, you know, make you forget about things for a little while and and just, you know, push away those dark clouds, you know, that might be hovering over you and, and just make you feel good and, you know, make you feel happy and, and you know, um, feel positive feelings for a little bit. And, yeah, that's, you know, that's why I love this film and that's why I love, you know, so many film feel-good films because they... They have that effect, and you know, um, a pretty powerful effect, really. Well, it's such a, it's a it's such a beautiful film, it's, inside and out. And uh, I sent a picture to Melissa last night of uh, very sick. I got done watching Dumbo last night. I turned on YouTube to go lay down. And watch Cinema Snob, and one of the first things that popped in my recommended feed was some random YouTuber. I'm not going to give him the benefit of the doubt of saying his name on here to give him hits or anything. But the first thing that popped up was, "Why is Dumbo bad? Why is the Dumbo remake bad?" And I instantly sent a photo of me giving them my TV the middle finger and sending it to Melissa. Now let me tell you something. You only say this dumb movie is bad so it will give you clicks. Because a movie you don't like will give you more clicks than one you don't like. Yeah. I'm not going to give that guy any more time. So he doesn't deserve it. But this is definitely a Disney film I go back to the most. I listed a lot of Disney films last year in my list and I think Dumbo is the one Disney film I go back to the most. Mm. and the fact that it's a Tim Burton film helps the most but I think even if it was if yeah, I don't know I that's about all I can say I think right now my brain is fried right now I think <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, uh, it's there's there's always <sighs> There's always that one movie that just really hits you a certain way and 
you know, it's it's that one that, you know, makes you feel the most, but it's, you know, always there when you need it. And yeah, definitely Dumbo is, is one of them. Absolutely. So we have one last, uh, one last uh, feel good film. And that's from a new friend of mine named Zaki Hassan, who was the co-host of the movie film podcast. Who is somebody else I'm going to try to get on in the future. And let me tell you, if you do not listen to Zaki and Brian on movie film podcast, they do some of the best movie commentaries ever. And it's kind of letting a spark with me and Melissa to get us to do more commentary checks, which we do have coming this year. But I highly recommend listening to the movie film podcast with Zachy and Brian because they they do other good episodes on top of that, like covering movies and stuff. But their commentaries are the best ever. Hi, Jared and Melissa. Thank you so much for asking me to be a part of this special episode. When I think of my favorite feel good movies, I mean, it is a long list. But the one that comes to mind most readily is Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. That is my favorite of all the Indiana Jones movies. And it's just one of those flicks that no matter uh, when I happen to see it, if it's on television, uh, whatever part of the movie it happens to be on, I end up sitting down and watching. And then inevitably when it goes to commercial, I'm like, well, I got to I got to watch this whole thing. And then I end up going back and watching it uh, from the start or at least from that point where I left off until the end. No matter how many times I see it, I laugh every single time at the jokes. I'm pulled in by the heart. And, you know, it's the darndest thing. It just makes me feel good. When I think of Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, it is just a feeling that is absolutely ineffable. And I can't recapture it except by watching that movie. So that is my choice. All right. So, Melissa, you're the you're the resident of United Nations uh, Indiana Jones head. So <laughs> go ahead and go. <laughs> Well, definitely, I 1,000% approved of his choice of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Um, I I love that whole um, trilogy of films. I think, for me, that's my perfect trilogy, is is the Indiana Jones series. Um, It's just, all three films are solid, and I, I especially, my favorite is The Last Crusade. I really enjoy it. Um, I, I love... It comes back to to family again because it's father and son, and it just their their relationship and how you know you see it from the start and you know in in his sort of younger years and then you see it after and and then you see it kind of grow and they connect again and and it's just it's such a fun film too like it's just it's definitely like he said like one of those ones are. Um, you know, you see it on TV or something, and you just you have to sit down and watch. Like, absolutely, <laughs> um, it's it's one I definitely throw in often because it's just it's it's funny. It has heart. It has your know, dramatic moments. It's just a well balanced film, and it's a really great story. And I, it yeah, it's like I said, it's a, it's one of my absolute favorites out of the the films um i i really really love it so solid choice <laughs> i like raiders raiders is good too i mean i, I <laughs> <agree>. <laughs> uh 
Yeah, I, I can't remember the last time I saw Last Crusade. It might have been in high school. Wow. Yeah. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's it's time for a rewatch. <laughs> you know, one of these one of these days I one of these days when I get that what what do the kids call it nowadays? Uh free time? <laughs> yeah, I think so. <laughs> well, when I get, when I when I get that, I I plan to catch up on some movies. Apparently singing in the rain is one of them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. My my uh, to watch list is always growing and I've just added singing in the rain to that one. <laughs> Yeah, so um, thank you to our podcasting family that uh, wrote in Michael, Victoria, Philip, Tim, Andy, Lisa, Jeremy, Guy, and Zachy. Thank you, everybody, who uh, uh, wrote in and contributed to this podcast. It means the world to us that you uh, agreed to help us out with this project. Uh, it means the world to us, and we, we love you all for it. Thank you so much. And we want to work with all of you again in the future. Absolutely. And uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe and follow their shows uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure that you make sure Victoria starts her Mommy and Me podcast with her daughter on Harry Potter. <laughs> so, uh, Melissa, closing thoughts on Tim Burton's Dumbo. Closing thoughts, it is just a really beautiful film. It's it's heartwarming, it's heartbreaking, it's it's just everything you you would want in a film and, and more. And what Tim Burton did to bring this that story to life was just really incredible. And I, I don't think anybody else could have done that to the extent that he did. And um, I, I think he he was the most perfect fit for, for directing that film and, and bringing it to life. So, you know, um, yeah, I, I really love the, the film. And, you know, I go back to it often. And it definitely, you know, helps push the, the black clouds away for a little bit and, and, you know, allows me to have that sense of magic and wonder. It's very much like Dumbo, who just, you know, is so just himself and, um, you know, and how he, you know, goes through so much, but then is still able to, you know, come out the other side and, and be positive and a, and a bright light. And, um, yeah, I, I, I really love the film. Well said. I don't know how much more I can add to it. Um, Tim Burton was definitely the choice, the best choice for this film. And I'm not saying that some, I'm not saying I had a bias for being a fan of Dumbo. I'm not saying I was being a bias for Tim Burton. But it was, it was almost like a match made in heaven, almost like a better match for him than doing Alice in Wonderland. Yeah. It, while Alice Wonderland also fits in that niche, that his wheelhouse, Dumbo just seems that much more because it is a lovable misfit that you feel bad for. Like, it's just this little baby elephant who 
Did NASA come into this world and getting kicked around by a society that rejects him, but finds a way to rise above despite the hardship he's going through and never stops smiling, never gave up. The times he felt like giving up, he never did. And he kept on going. He had one goal in mind, that was to get his mother back, and he eventually got it. He had a goal, and he stuck to it. And those are the, like we said, this is the film that pushes those dark clouds away. I'm here. I am a 36 year old man. I can just sit and think about the scenes that make me want to cry in this film. And I will never be ashamed to admit it. Yeah. Dumbo makes me cry. And it's a happy cry. Like the first, every time I see Dumbo fly for the first time, like right when you're leading up to that scene, it's like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Oh, there's the feather. God damn it. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've said it before. I'll say it again. Tim Burton, you magnificent bastard. This film is a work of art. And we joked with the Patton Oswalt joke where every frame is a painting. (laughs) (laughs) And no director, I think, puts paintings on screen better than Tim Burton. 10 out of 10 would recommend. So, uh, we have one small order of business before we take it on home. And, um, like we said at the beginning of the episode, this episode was dedicated to, uh, our mothers for mother's day and all the mothers that listen to our show. But, um, some of you who, know me personally know that last month I lost my grandmother and um, I also wanted to dedicate this episode to her because um, spending a lot of time with my grandmother growing up I realized at her her funeral services at her memorial services that um it didn't re- it didn't reflect on me until then how much of an impact she had on my life in many ways. And one of them was my love for Disney. And it mostly stemmed from the fact that we'd spend time at her house and she would have the Disney films, uh, all the classics on VHS, including all the Renaissance films. I claim I don't I didn't I low key Liked as a kid, but not so much now. And um, another thing was, like, she even recorded. This was back in the 90s and 80s where you had to pay for the Disney Channel. So she would record a lot of shows on there for us. So I'd see, like, Welcome to Pooh Corner or um, even the animated Winnie the Pooh or um, Under the Umbrella Tree or even live-action Dumbo Circus. So now when I look back now, I probably think that Andy and Michael and Hunter have kickstarted my renaissance for a love of Disney. But um, I look back to where it all began, and it came with my grandma. And since we're doing an episode on a Disney film, one of my favorite Disney films, I it wouldn't be this far without my grandma. So 
my grandmother, Jacqueline. Thank you, and I love you, and this episode is also dedicated to you. And thank you to everybody who reached out to me in the last month or so when I was going through what I was going through. Your uh, thoughts and prayers mean a lot to me. Um, But I want to thank my grandma for introducing me to many things, and one of them being Disney. Oh, thank you. So, Melissa, <laughs> Melissa, where can uh, listeners keep up with you? Oh, they can, um, they can keep up with me on Instagram um, at MissMelissaN25. Um, if you're interested in, in art, drawing, things like that, I also have a drawing art posting uh, Instagram page, and it's called Scribbles of a Wannabe Drawer, so you can check it out there. Um, where can they find you, Jared? Um, you can send all your hate tweets for not sing, singing in the <laughs> rain to, uh, at QCA underscore Mista underscore J. Um, that's where you can find me most of the time. Um, or I'm posting pictures of my cats on Instagram cause that's what the internet was made for. Right. Um, I am working on a project I've mentioned before with my friend Mikey called Two Aging Bearded Nerds, where we look back at those <laughs> films from the 80s where studios did not care. Like uh, Victoria's daughter said, this was a family movie, and Never Ending <laughs> Story will Never Ending Story will be one of those films we cover. So look for that coming soon. I am making more progress on that. <laughs> um, most of where can they find us as a podcast? Um, as a podcast, um, they can find us on most of the social medias, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Um, I can also find us, if you want to listen to us, on uh, our home at Podbean, on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and Google Podcasts. And be sure on any one of those um, listening platforms to leave a rating and review um it really helps us be a little bit more noticed within the podcast community and um if you leave a review we may read it on an episode perfect and uh you can find us on all the social medias at nerd night nations podcast on facebook twitter and instagram and speaking of Facebook, uh, starting May 1st, kickoff Mental Health Awareness Month, we have a fundraiser going for the AFSP, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're going to try to keep it going through the end of the month. So like, share, donate if you can, because um, it's something that Melissa and I care very much about, not just for uh, Autumn Snyder, but it's Mental Health Awareness Month and Everybody needs somebody to listen, whether it's two nerds that never met each other on a podcast or calling a stranger on a hotline. If you need the help, get the help, please. Mm-hmm. Stay tuned next time where we're going to talk about a legend who always liked to make people feel good about mm-hmm. themselves. And that, of course, will be Robin Williams. So tune in next week. We'll be doing a mini episode about our favorite Robin Williams movies. So be sure to tune in next time. So the world is still scary. It's always important to be good to each other. And in this day, and especially the, not just this month in general, but be good to yourself. 
and be good to others. But make sure you're also good to yourself and be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes. See you next time. you cry baby mine dry your eyes rest your head close to my heart never to part baby of Thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.